What I would like to do today is to complete our thought process, the road that we've been going down for these past few weeks, things to remember this new year, things to do better this new year. And what I would like to talk about today is not so much failure, but success. Maybe this will not surprise you, but as a result of our, our fast-paced, success-crazed world, there's a new medical term. I'm not sure how new it is, but it's worked its way into the vocabulary of overworked achievers. It's called chronic fatigue syndrome. How many have heard of that? It's not that new a thing. How many think they got it? <laughs> you know, the, evidently this condition... This condition is brought about by stress, overwork, busyness, by erratic diets and sleep behavior. So it it, it seems pretty commonplace, and it seems to be a new rush of sorts in America. More than 4 million people have been diagnosed with this. People are tending to work longer and harder than ever before. It seems like we are behinder than we've ever been before, and then busier trying to catch up since we are behind her, and it just becomes a very difficult time. CFS has been known for a long time as burnout. It's when we're just tired. Tired of doing what we've been doing, tired of going down the same path. My, my, my grandkids, I, I have them already conditioned. I'll say, what time is it? And they say, Poppy, it's couch time. And I got them right where I want them. And whenever I'm kind of tired of going through all the deals, that seems to be the deal. Um, sometimes when we're in this kind of condition, the, simple of, the simplest of tasks seems to become monumental chores. And sometimes when we're suffering from this condition, the days seem to drag on and on and on and problems get blown out of proportion. You have a tendency to want to sleep more. The burnout, the overstressed, the emotional breakdowns, the blues, depression, CFS, whatever you want to call it, is becoming a real, real problem. And most of us know more about failure than we do success, don't we? When I was younger, I grew up with this guy. It was a day a lot like today, kind of cloudy. It was snowing back then, and it was a little colder. And he was hoping to have success, but things kind of went sideways. It looked kind of like this. Spanning the globe to bring you the constant variety of sport. The thrill of victory. And the agony of defeat. How many remember that guy? Every Saturday morning, every Saturday day, afternoon, whatever. And I, I know that those of you who, who might be new to church or, or, or maybe new with us today, I want you to know that the Bible of yesterday has such an impact on how we live today. I want to show that to you as we study today. But that was Vinko. Vinko was from Yugoslavia. He 
had that crash in 1970. Wide world of sports, new and upcoming. They just happened to be there. They were doing some, some practice shots, and they got this guy coming down this ski jump, probably the most notable wreck in ski jump history. And you know, you know how we're, when, when we go through some type of hard, hard uh, struggle or an emotional deal or some type of accident, our, our body takes over and we have the tendency to be able to block out in our minds what happened. And when we come to, we, we usually ask something like, well, what happened? What happened? And this guy has to relive this moment. He relived it for a lot of years, and he later became a ski jump coach. He never got quite back to that form, and I think that's a good thing. But he became a ski jump coach, and I always wonder what it would be like to have Vinko as your coach. (laughs) You know, aren't you that guy? One of his uh, athletes, though, did win a medal later in his life, but I grew up watching that guy every Saturday crash and burn. And most of us know what it's like to crash and burn. What I want to explain today, I I think it it, it takes more energy. After we succeed with the stress and the difficulty from that battle, once we're there and finally have achieved the mark, it's hard, sometimes harder to continue. When we fail, we have a tendency to think, well, I'm going to do this next time. Next time I'm going to be a little better doing that or doing what. We, we begin to strategize how we can get better. But once we succeed, it's a critical time in our life. And emotionally we're usually spent. Stress, anxiety at an all-time high. That's why I don't understand why these reporters interview athletes after it's over. How'd you do that? <clears throat> oh, 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 no. Yeah. Crazy. They've been through the mill, and now they are expected to express themselves. I want us to go to 1 Kings chapter 19 today, because there's a story, there's a story of an Old Testament prophet who was successful, and then because of his success, he faced some agonizing circumstances. Before we get there, 2 Timothy 3 says, there will be terrible times. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. These people will be boastful. They will be proud. They will be abusive. They will be disobedient to their parents. They will be ungrateful, unholy. These people will be without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. They will be brutal, and they will not be lovers of God. Does that sound familiar to anyone? I mean, our culture is a little bit out of sorts, isn't it? And we are trying to do what we can as our world spins to grab control and to refocus and to continue down a path that will be pleasing to God. And there was an Old Testament prophet, his name Elijah. And I really can't take you through chapter 19 unless I first take you through chapter 18. So could I do that this morning? But the first thing I want to point my finger to is that this condition can happen to anyone. 
So if you're here for the first time today, I want you to understand that this condition could happen to you. I want you to also understand that the people that you sit by, it's already happened to them over and over and over again. You see, the Bible tells us that um, God's people, they were under Ahab's rule. He was not a very nice guy. In fact, he was constantly doing evil things to God followers. And the people had not really turned away from the one and only God, but they were making that transition, and they were worshiping, my Bible says, other gods, little g. In fact, Baal, or Baal, was the candidate that they were trying to replace the worship of Jehovah God with. So they had this event, and Elijah called all the prophets of the king to come. There were 450 prophets, and he wanted to challenge them to a duel. Evidently, it was a winner-take-all duel, because I will describe that here in a minute, but it was going to be a duel. They were going to create these altars, and they were going to place an animal on the altar, and then they were going to call upon their god, little g, or he was going to call on his God, Big G, to bring fire from heaven to ignite the altar in fire. So are you with me? They were going to offer a burnt sacrifice. That's kind of where it was going. So I don't know if Elijah lost the tip or if he won the tip. But he decided to defer and let the prophets, the 450 prophets of the alien gods, go first. And the Bible says they did. They built this altar. They brought in wood. They brought in rock. They put this animal on top. And they began to pray and to shout out to their, their God, little G. And if you have your Bibles open to 1 Kings chapter 18, we are told this is the first trash talk ever be committed in the history of mankind. The first smack, the first in your face, in your grill kind of talk. Because Elijah, when nothing was happening, he begins to shout at them. Maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe you need to yell a little louder. Or maybe your God is on a trip. Maybe he's gone to the Bahamas for a few days. Maybe you need to wait. And Anyhow, after they were done crying and praying to their God with no results, he begins to build his altar. He puts the animal on there. He has rocks. He has wood. He digs a trench around his altar. He has people cover his altar with water and also fill the trench with water. Anybody here an outdoorsman? Have you ever tried to start a fire even at home with wet wood? I mean, doesn't work well, does it? He begins to pray to Jehovah God, and the Bible says that God allowed fire to come out of heaven, and it consumed his altar. The animal the wood, the Bible says it even burnt up the rocks. And that's some hot fire, right? It even took care of the water and even the water in the trench. And the Bible says it even burnt the ground around the altar. Verse 38, the fire of the Lord, capital L fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in a trench. When all the people saw this, they fell and they cried out 
the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So the whole region had a time of repentance. And the reason I say this was a winner-take-all event, the next verse says, Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. And they seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley, and there he slaughtered, slaughtered them all. Holy stinking cow. I mean... He's a prophet of God, and God kind of showed himself in a miraculous way. So you think he would be kind of on top of his game, right? Kind of feeling pretty good, pretty cocky. He had successfully defeated 450 evil prophets of Baal. This can happen to anybody. Because in chapter 19, verse 1, now Ahab told Jezebel, this is his wife, the queen, Anybody here know any ladies named Jezebel? I was trying to think. I don't know any. I knew a birdie bell. That was really her name. But I've never known it Jezebel. The Bible says she was wicked. And maybe that's why no one would call their daughter by, by that name. And Ahab told Jezebel everything Eli had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel... She sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods, little g, may the gods deal with you, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. In other words, by this time tomorrow you're going to be dead. I'm coming after you. So it can happen to anyone because the Bible says that once things begin to unfold for Elijah, he lost it, he panicked, and he ran. Now we all know if you're going to be successful in this world, you're going to have to work hard, right? You're going to have to dedicate yourself. To, you might have to sacrifice and suffer and, and, and put in more time than you ever want to put in because that's what it takes to be successful physically in this world. Winning's hard work. It's stressful. And once he had defeated all these people and won, he lost it. Verses 3 and 4 say, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. He came to a, to a broom tree, a tree common in that area. He sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. He prayed that the God of heaven might take his life away because he had had enough. He couldn't continue, so he prayed that God would take his life. Running in fear was not exactly commonplace to this man. He had a tendency to trust God and to stand firm. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 9, 27 basically says, if you think you are standing firm, be careful not to fall. And he goes on to say, I beat my body, spiritually speaking, I beat my body 
to make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the price. I will stand firm. Anybody here ever tried roller skating? Can you stand firm on those skates? I mean, some people can, and don't you just want to trip them or push them down? Just get it over with, because you don't stand too firm. The only thing worse than roller skating, I think, is ice skating. Have you ever tried that? Sometimes we fall down and go boom when we ice skate. Right? Nowadays, the way they teach little kids, have you seen it? They'll put like a milk crate out there or something, and they skate pushing that crate around until they are good enough or strong enough to stand firm. Sometimes it's hard to stand firm on skates. I don't think they were built for that, or maybe I wasn't built for that. Anybody here ever have a problem standing firm, not on skates? I mean, just walking or running or whatever? Sometimes we fall down and go boom in the best of scenarios. I think it was Andy's wedding before his wedding. Debbie was out walking. She likes to walk at night. I'm not a big fan of that. You know, I have the kids conditioned to couch time, and I was in couch time. She said, Jerry, you want to go walk? I said, not really. Maybe I'll pick you up on the on the loop. She wasn't gone very long, and across the street from us, there's a little stick up in the sidewalk about this big. I don't know if she was talking on her phone, if she was just kind of enjoying the moment, but she did a face plant. So she comes into the house, and I see her knees all bloody and skinned, and her hands, and she, she's saying, how's my face? How's my face? <laughs> you know, when you do those wedding things, there's a lot of pictures, and she wanted to be sure her face was I said, okay, okay, okay. It looks better than ever before. Sometimes it's hard to stand firm, even in the best of scenarios. Spiritually speaking, I think it's harder yet to stand firm. We've just started this big study of Revelation, and the bottom line is the book is all about being faithful. Being faithful to the very, very end. Stand firm, hang in there to the very, very end very end. It was written to a group of people in Asia Minor. It was written for a specific purpose. They were going through a very, very hard time. I told my group today, if you wanted to outline Revelation, it would kind of go like this. Things are bad. Things are getting worse. If you remain faithful in the end, we win. That's what heaven is all about. It's not revelations. It's revelation. It's about the revealing the power of God and Jesus. And there's so much going on there. And a lot of times in the text, we have a tendency, we have a tendency to do things that we might not, and it has a tendency to affect us all. Anybody here suffering from CFS? Are you tired? Are you worn out? Do you just feel like you're going through the it can happen to anybody? Not just physically, but spiritually. I think spiritually speaking, it's easier to connect there than ever before. So it starts with anyone. So the second thing, this condition, it has a tendency to destroy our ability to think straight. So if you have your pens and pencils in hands, the first thing, we become irrational. 
Elijah, when Jezebel threatened his life, he was overcome with fear. Even though he really had nothing to fear, he had just faced 450 prophets of a God that didn't really even exist. They could have taken his life, but his God consumed consumed things with fire. And now we have one twisted woman who puts the fear of God in him. Anybody here know of such woman in your life that maybe has the ability to cast that fear your direction? Sometimes when that happens, you don't think straight and you do things you wouldn't do otherwise. The second thing, not only the irrational behavior, but he had an overcoming desire to escape. And doesn't that hit home when you're going through a tough time? Don't you just want to get away? I mean, remove yourself or that person or that situation. Just remove it from from where you are. Verse 14 says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites, your people, they have rejected the covenant. They have broken down your altars. They have put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. God goes on to remind them that there are 7,000 people back home that have never bowed to this foreign God, and he needed to go back and take care of them. But right now, at this moment, he was feeling like, wham, 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 wham. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe you're going through a tough time, and you're looking around, and people that don't even deserve the love of God are experiencing a greater blessing than you. It has to do with our ability to understand self-pity, and we're pretty good at having our own little pity parties, aren't we? I want to share two stories with you right now. One's just a paragraph from a man who enlisted in the army, and the other is a letter back home from a Marine who has enlisted. Let me start with the army man first, because I want you to understand Maybe you can help me choose between the two who is more filled with themselves in self-pity than the other. The first guy, the soldier, in basic training, he was so upset with his conditions, so he wrote a letter to his congressman. I'm just going to read you a paragraph about the food, okay? He says, the food here can only be described as slop. I wouldn't feed it to pigs for fear they might get sick to their stomachs and die. Any decent garbage man would refuse to haul this vile mixture to the dump. To make matters worse, they give us a lot of it. This letter from Marine says, Dear Mom and Paul, I'm well, hope you are. Tell Brother Walt and Brother Elmer the Marine Corps beats working for old man Minch by a mile. Tell them to join up quick before all the places are filled. I was restless at first because you got to stay in bed till 6 a.m. But I'm getting used to sleeping in. Tell Walton Elmer all you do before breakfast is smooth out your cot, shine some things, no hogs to slop, feed to pitch, mash to mix, wood to split, fire to lay, practically nothing. Men got to shave, but not so bad. There's warm water here. Breakfast is strong on trimmings. Like... Fruit juice, cereal, eggs, bacon, 
and stuff, but kind of weak on chops and potatoes, ham and steak and fried eggplant pie and other regular food. But tell Walt and Elmer you can always sit by the city boys because they tend to live on coffee. Their food plus yours holds you till noon, and then you get to eat again. We go on a route march, which the platoon sergeant says are long walks to harden us. If he thinks so, but it's no further than walking to our mailbox and back at home. The sergeant is like a school teacher, he nags some. The captain is like the school board. Majors and colonels just ride around and they frown at you all the time, but they don't bother you much. This week will kill Walton. Elmer was laughing. I kept getting medals for shooting. I don't know why. The bullseye, they're bigger than the head of a chipmunk, and they don't move. And it ain't shooting at you like the Higgett boys at home. All you do is go and get comfortable on the ground, and you shoot these targets, and they give you medals. Then we have what they call hand-to-hand combat training. You get to wrestle with them city boys, and I'm real careful because they break easy. It ain't like fighting the old bull at home, and I'm about the best they got except for Tug Jordan in Silver Creek. He joined up the same time as me, and I'm only 5'6 and 130 pounds, and he's 6'8. We're a ways nearly 300 pounds dry. Be sure to tell Walt and Elmer to hurry. I got to go. Love you, your daughter, Gail. So who do you think is having a hard time? Who do you think is kind of going through this self-pity time? I'm not sure it's her, but it seems like when we're in kind of a difficult time, we have a tendency to try to blame anyone but ourselves, and we have a tendency to point our finger many times at God. It's the stress at the highest level. We tend to lose our ability to think logically and we have a tendency to behave irrationally. And it affects us all. Anybody here feel like they've kind of got it? Chronic fatigue syndrome? You're just tired? Anybody here tired? One more thing and then we're done this morning. This problem will not go away until we do something about it. Elijah, verses 5 and 6, after he asked God to take his life, he fell into sleep. He was exhausted, the Bible says, and when he woke up, he went on a private retreat for 40 days, 40 days where God fed and comforted him and kind of took him apart and put him back together. And when life gets tough, you may not have 40 days of rest and relaxation to put it back together, but I encourage you to do the things that he did Take care of your physical needs. Seek God in solitude and listen for God's voice. If you continue to read chapter 19, you'll say that here that God spoke to him and said, hey, I want you to go out of this cave and I want you to listen for my, for my voice. And the Bible says when he went outside the cave, there was a mighty wind, but the voice was not there. There was an earthquake, no voice. There was a huge fire, no voice. However, there was a gentle wind, and in that gentle wind, a gentle whisper, and that's where he heard the voice of God. And he was ready to listen. And there was a tremendous difference in the Elijah before the retreat and the Elijah after the retreat.
Before he was a beaten man, he was a depressed man. He was ready to give up. And after he was renewed, refreshed, and ready to keep on. Have you seen the people on TV who have been blessed to have one of these makeover things? You know what I'm talking about? They'll be somewhere and somewhere, someone will, will offer to, to, to make them over. And, and they, they always look a lot different, don't they? I mean, I don't know what they do behind those curtains, but they, it's almost like a different woman. And they say that they don't only look different. The people who have had this makeover, they begin to act and to live different because of how they look. Wouldn't it be kind of cool to have a makeover? I, mean, I always thought that'd be kind of cool. I don't know what they'd do with me. They would probably look at this hair and say, dude. But wouldn't it be kind of cool to have that experience? Maybe you'd come back a blonde or a redhead or a whatever. Getting ready to go see my granddaughter. I'm going to take her some of that purple stuff for hair, you know? The only reason I'm tempted not to do that, I know her mom will not like it. Plus, I think she might work on me. And I'm not sure I would like that. Anybody here need a makeover today? Maybe not physically. How about... How about spiritually? Maybe this year you need to do some things differently in your spiritual life. Maybe you need to give God the chance to take you apart and put you back together. Maybe he needs to work on your heart. He's a great heart doctor. Wouldn't it be great to see the new you? Oh, your family will be able to tell. Your friends will be able to tell. I think we will be able to tell if you become something new by God's hand. That's what communion is all about. That's why we celebrate this every Lord's Day. You have a chance to pray to the Father to start making you new. Different.